From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 180 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing just fine. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well, enjoying our early spring, it would appear, that we're having right now. Very nice. And and the allergies that come with it. Yeah. I, I don't miss I don't miss my uh, allergies acting up. I've been I've been fine right now, but uh, you know, even a couple days I've had to turn my heat on in the car. I, I think I've talked on the show and some of the other ones before that I am I am so cheap that we do not turn the heat on in our house. We just wrap up in in blankets when it gets cold. I'll, I'll run the air mm-hmm. conditioner because you you have to run the AC in Florida or mm-hmm. things will get just too hot. But I don't mind it getting too cold. But then I'll get in my car and I'll turn on the heater uh, when I need to, since why not? My engine is getting warm anyways and. I will then have a stuffy nose for like two days because I am not used to to having it at all. And that's basically the same experience I have once everything starts blooming. So just early preview for me right now. Yeah. What's yeah. to come. <laughs> yeah. I started to turn on the ceiling fan in the bedroom last couple of nights because it was getting warm. And I thought, I can't believe we're mid-January. But yeah, well, <laughs> it's... It, it, just blowing my mind because Florida is heading in the same direction very quickly. And well, I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, we're going to start out again with, with some questions in this episode. Who's got the sweetest disposition? One guess, guess who, who never, never starts an argument. Who never shows a bit of temperament. Who's never wrong, but always right. Who'd never dream of starting a fight? Who gets stuck with all the bad luck? No one but Donald Duck. I, I thought about doing the sound effects with it, and I <laughs> I toyed with it there for a second, and then I was like, no, if I oh, if I do I was... them wrong or if I don't do them justice, then I'll never forgive myself for just oh, not letting it happen. <laughs> I was hoping you're going to at least at the end. I, well, I don't even know if I got the tune right. <laughs> you no, you did. You were you were pretty much right on the entire time. It's the problem is the last one. Like, uh, yeah, I just my voice. I don't think it, it was there with it. I wanted to. I wanted. I wanted to have all of the. The call through the callbacks in it, but it just it, it wasn't in the cards for me tonight. But who knows? This episode doesn't release for another couple of days. Maybe I'll I'll go back and and sprinkle them in if I'm feeling up to it. Oh, that would be fun. That would be great. <laughs> and of course, folks, you know that that is the theme songs to most of Donald Duck's cartoon shorts. And in episode 179, we continued our series on Walt Disney Studio Animation with an overview of the creation and development of that irascible Donald Duck. Mm -hmm. 
This week, we're going to take a look at Donald's film and television career. Now, The Wise Little Hen was Walt Disney's 45th Silly Symphony and the 17th cartoon they produced in color. Donald's 1934 screen debut was noteworthy because he appeared in color before the studio star Mickey Mouse. This film tells the story of this thrifty, wise little hen who attempted to enlist the aid of Peter Pig and Donald Duck for the sowing and reaping of her corn. And both Peter Pig and Donald Duck complain of ailments that prevent them from assisting the hen, but they make a miraculous recovery when the time comes to eat the rewards of the wise little hen's work. However, Mrs. Hen gives them a bottle of castor oil to remedy their illnesses instead. And uh, we talked a lot about this one when we did our Silly Symphony episode. Uh, I was, that was last year. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. It wasn't longer than that. But this was one of the choices I believe you made to to discuss, or maybe it was mine. It's it's all blurring together now. But yeah, we went <laughs> we went very uh, we went very in depth on it. So if you for some reason you skipped those episodes way back when, it's uh, good to go back in and hear our thoughts on that one because it is it's such a great cartoon. It, it is, is. It's so entertaining, and you know it's it, it's predictable with with where it's where it's all going to go, but that doesn't mean that the, the payoff isn't perfect. There's some in here that we have actually, that we're going to discuss in this episode that we have discussed previously in way more detail. Mm -hmm. And either it was for treasures from the Disney vault or it was our other series we were doing, or I should say treasures from the Disney vault for Turner classic films. And also uh, some, we're going to discuss in the future because they're part, they're going to be part of the animation series we discussed. So we're only going to lightly touch on them in this episode, but then in the future, we're going to go deep into them. Yeah. So, so despite this rather despicable beginning, Donald was immediately popular with audiences and became the first silly symphony character to appear in a Mickey Mouse cartoon. In 1943's Orphan's Benefit, Donald threw his first tantrum and established what was to become the basis of his character. In spite of being heckled, cheered, and pelted with objects by the orphans, this humiliation fired his resolution, and he stubbornly refused to give up on his recitation of Mary Had a Little Lamb. And we would see this stubbornness in Everything he did <laughs> in the future. Yep. <laughs> Donald was immediately cast in 1935's The Band Concert as the antagonist. This was Mickey's first color cartoon. Donald, who is a peanut and ice cream vendor with musical desires, is pitted against band leader Mickey Mouse. And Donald attempts to grab center stage by undermining the band's performance of the William Tell Overture by repeatedly playing turkey in the straw on his piccolo, and pandemonium ensues. And this was another one that we talked about in way more detail in a previous episode. And, of course, go back and listen to it, because band concert is one of just... I I know we say it a lot with it, but band concert truly is one of the the best in classics with it. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's... uh, Donald Duck is just... He is perfect in this one. He is... 
he has that right uh that right stubbornness and temper and just uh is is so funny in it as well too so it's uh maybe maybe if you always watch it from the side of more seeing uh you know mickey is the band leader maybe go back and really pay attention to donald and give donald some extra appreciation yeah. with it yeah with his endless supply of piccolos yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um for me band concert is as close to perfection as the studio got in their cartoon shorts yeah yeah and uh, especially with um you know it's if, if they hit the humor well that's that's always that's always perfect but the fact that i love this era of animation i mean we love it all but i i i do have a fondness for this era and then mix it with with the perfect musical score throughout the entire cartoon that's that's why it works and then all the extra characters as well too that they really populate it and make it make it feel like like it is reality almost in a sense it it just has this more realism to it because there's this full fleshed out world it's it's just so so good yeah and the special effects that went into this in the days when it all had to be hand drawn yeah is also just amazing absolutely now now audiences and critics loved the band concert and especially Donald Duck's performance critics wrote Never in motion pictures has there been such a funny fury as Donald's and the greatest pest since chain letters. From 1935 to 1942, Donald co-starred in 26 Mickey Mouse cartoons, including Mickey's Service Station and Mickey's Fire Brigade in 1935, Alpine Climbers and Mickey's Circus in 1936, Hawaiian Holiday, Magician Mickey, Clock Cleaners and Lonesome Ghosts in 1937. By this time, most of the Mickey Mouse cartoons were trio films featuring Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. A lot of these are uh, available on Disney Plus, which yeah. is nice. Yeah, especially I know Hawaiian Holiday is, and Clock Cleaners, and Lonesome Ghosts, and uh, I think Alpine Climbers yeah. is. And yeah. you know, those are actually those are my four of the favorites. So mm-hmm. Hawaiian Holiday is is. Uh, is probably one of my favorite. Just when, it was first, especially if I'm in a big tiki mood at the time, uh, it is. It just it fits that entire Hawaiian tiki style just perfectly. But you know, Lonesome Ghost again is always, always uh, perfection. Especially, especially at Halloween time when mm-hmm. you you'll watch it on on Halloween night. Even it's uh, you, you can't go wrong with any of them. And yeah, they're having them on Disney Plus, extremely accessible. Mm-hmm. And many consider these shorts to be the best cartoon shorts made by the studio during this era. The standard format had the three approaching a situation, splitting up for solo episodes, and then coming together again for the finale. These shorts started to lose their popularity by the end of the 1930s, and Mickey's Symphony Hour of 1942 was Donald's last appearance in a Mickey Mouse cartoon for 41 years. The trio was reunited for the Mickey and the Beanstalk segment of 1947's Fun and Fancy Free. In 1937, Donald appeared in Don Donald and became the studio's first character since Mickey Mouse to star in his own cartoon series. Mickey and Goofy did not co-star, but Donna Duck did, the infamous Donna Duck. (laughs) 
She would be the model for Daisy Duck. Donald's next film, Modern Inventions, had Donald up against a terrifying assortment of machinery run amok. Between 1938 and 1942, Donald starred in seven or eight cartoons each year, and he was gathering his own group of co-stars. His nephews, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, joined Uncle Donald in 1938, and Donna became Daisy in 1940. This series of shorts included many of Donald's job roles, in which he wreaks havocs as he takes on various occupations, such as Officer Duck in 1939, The Riveter in 1940, Donald's Dog Laundry in 1940, and The Window Cleaners in 1940, and Truant Officer Donald in 1941. It's disappointing, not as many of the Donald Duck cartoons are on Disney+. Plus. And as uh, as the trio cartoons are. World War II put Donald into a new role of citizen, soldier, and diplomat. His anger, desperation, and aggression more closely reflected the spirit of the times than any other Disney character. His personality was the perfect representation of America's determination in the war effort. Finally, Donald's belligerent nature found an outlet that was not only acceptable, but honorable. The United States was shocked by the September 7, 1941 attack on Pearl Harbor. On December 8th, the military took over the Walt Disney Studio and offered Disney a contract to produce 20 animated training films on topics like precision bombing and torpedo assembly, which were all top secret. These commissions increased in 1942, and by 1943, 94% of the studio's output was under government contract. Amongst these government contracts were a group of films called Incentive Films. The third film in this series was in 1942 for the National Film Board of Canada and starred Donald Duck as a solid citizen telling audiences of the virtues of purchasing war bonds. Donald's good and bad consciences try to tell him what to do with this money, and Donald's better nature wins out. And a lot of these are on um, the, you know, Disney and World War II, the Disney Treasures tin. Um, yeah. You, you can see a lot of Donald's films in, in that collection if you have it. Exactly. And they're, they're not the easiest to sit through. I, you know, I, as a, aficionado uh someone who enjoys learning more about world war ii in that era it's it's very very interesting and intriguing to watch but it's not you know they're not all uh they're not all fun and happy and flowers it's uh it's it's definitely uh it's it's not it's not even i wouldn't say they're even kid friendly with that and no so if if before you run out and get that walt disney treasures 10 set if you yeah don't already have it and you're thinking about buying it maybe go on youtube i know that uh there's there's a lot of them also on youtube that people will throw up so it can give you an idea of some of the cartoons and yeah, you, know, you get a better idea if it's something that you would even care about seeing. But uh, yeah, these these probably will not be added to Disney Plus anytime soon. No, I was ever. just going to say that. I, I think it's worth having the tin just for that reason and for historic reasons, because these just aren't readily available in 
clean condition. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely more for, for us completionists with it. It's, you know, it's, it's not something you're going to watch very often, but I, I do every, I, I probably about do it about every other year. I'll sit down and, mm-hmm. and watch the World War II films just to, just to remember and, uh, see, see them for, for what they are because, you know, it actually, it comes up very often thanks to the internet. People will post random still shots and pictures from them and especially usually around uh conversations about Walt Disney being you know uh definitely racist or prejudiced against other peoples that that's usually when you'll start seeing screenshots from from a lot of the shorts pop up so it's good to good to at least educate yourself once but probably not sit down and have all the kids watch it as well too not quite yeah they're they're products of the era yeah and of where the united states was at that time exactly and so yeah. donald also starred in 1942's the new spirit recent federal regu- legislation in the United States, had created 7 million new taxpayers who previously had never needed to file a tax return. The U.S. Treasury Department was anxious to persuade these Americans that it was patriotic to file your tax returns and quickly. Secretary of the Treasury Henry Morgenthau approached Walt Disney early in 1942 with the idea of Walt making a cartoon about paying taxes using a character who would be Mr. Average Taxpayer. Morgenthau was surprised when Walt suggested Donald Duck for the role. Walt told the Secretary of the Treasury that donating Donald to the Treasury was the equivalent of MGM donating Clark Gable. And, and that's really how for years, if not decades, uh, Walt referred to uh, Donald, he was the Clark Gable of their studio stable. That's uh, the high praise for sure. Mm-hmm. So it might not mean a lot to a lot of people today, but yeah, back then that's that's pretty much as good as you can get. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. The new spirit was completed in less than a month and rushed out to thousands of theaters because tax returns were due on March fifteenth, nineteen forty-two. In the film, a radio announcer encourages Donald to pay his taxes with the slogan, Taxes to Beat the Axis. Over 32 million people saw the film, and a Gallup poll reported that 37% said the film had a direct impact on their willingness to pay their taxes. New York Times critic Bosley Crowther said the film was the most effective of the morale films yet released by the government. Now, you would think our federal government would be grateful to Walt and his staff for the success of this film in making people happy to pay their taxes. Far from it. They almost didn't pay the studio for it. The studio was owed close to $80,000 for the production of the film, but the House of Representatives vetoed the appropriation, stating the film was purely entertainment and therefore of secondary financial importance to the war effort. Not a dime for Disney became the catchphrase for the scandal that erupted, in which Disney was unjustly accused of making money from the war. In reality, Walt had agreed to produce these government films on a non-profit basis for patriotic and practical reasons, as it kept his studio open and staff working. 
1943, Morgenthau gave Disney $20,000 to rework the new spirit. It became a refreshed cartoon segment that was spliced onto The Spirit of 1943, in which Donald is torn between a zoot-suited spendthrift and a canny Scotsman, who could have possibly been a model for Scrooge McDuck. Both of these characters attempt to get Donald's money, but Donald ultimately gives it to the Internal Revenue Service. Yeah, and he's been doing it ever since. <laughs> it, it sure does make me want to pay my taxes. But... Really? Well, not me. <laughs> the inevitable happened to Donald in 1942. He was drafted into military service. Donald Fauntleroy Duck receives greeting number 13 from Uncle Sam on April 1st, 1942. Donald is pitted against his drill sergeant and arch nemesis Peg Lake Pete with two good legs, but Donald is a willing draftee and still manages to assert himself. 1943 was a critical time for the Allies on the European front, and most of the 13 cartoon shorts released by the studio dealt directly with the war. Amongst them were four anti-Nazi films, which the publicity department called Psychological Productions. And Craig, I think these are the ones that you are were referring to a bit earlier. Specifically, yes. Yes, yes. Education for Death, Reason for Emotion, Chicken Little, and De Fuhrer's Face were all attacks on the Third Reich, with the last being a bitter satire on life in Hitler's Germany, starring Donald Duck. In this film, Donald is a starved and oppressed worker on a munition assembly line. He is driven to madness by a rigid totalitarian state that allows little or no hope for the individual. The film's original title was Donald in Nutsyland, spelled N-U-T-Z-I-L-A-N-D, but was changed to the title of the song by Oliver Wallace that was featured prominently in the film. The song became a hit on the record charts. The film was so powerful and effective with audiences that it was translated and smuggled into Germany and was not well received by the Nazi party, as you can imagine. (laughs) Michael, that might be one of the greatest sentences that you've ever written a show before, too. The Nazi party did not really enjoy watching Der Fuhrer's face. No, but I bet they were humming the song. I, I remember when I was a boy, in the 60s, the, the Spike Jones recording of that was still being played on the radio. I remember you saying that to either in a show or in another conversation that we had about that, which is it's just wild to me. So it's uh, gosh, what a it, it's it's catchy, but to be singing it 20 years later, that's that's mm-hmm. something else. Yeah. Now, Flying Jalopy was also released in 1943, which attached war, attacked war profiteering and home defense, starring Donald with his nephews as a civilian aircraft spotter who falls asleep on the job. As the Allies became more confident of a European victory in 1944, the productions of war shorts slowed down. So they turned their attentions to the war in the Pacific. 1944's Commando Duck includes one of the studio's very rare animated caricatures of a Japanese soldier. Uh, 
In spite of this, the Donald Duck war cartoons never came close to approaching the chauvinism of the Bugs Bunny and Popeye war cartoons, which are much harder to come across. Yeah, yeah. And I... the, But they were still being played when I was a boy, because the war was still very fresh in people's minds, even in the 60s. And um, they they were a bit surprising in yeah. their... Um, caricatures shall we say of the enemy yeah i don't think i've seen i i know i haven't seen a lot i feel like i've seen at least uh at least a popeye one here and there and a bugs one but like even in the late 80s and 90s they were they were not showing that on tv so it wasn't accessible even though i grew up watching bugs bunny and popeye i didn't see them then it was more in the the internet age when downloading uh trying to download and find cartoons back before there was there was a lot of stuff on demand with with streaming and you know now the day of disney plus and stuff uh there it wasn't always the case sometimes you and even before youtube that was the only way to try to find this stuff if it wasn't released anywhere else so yeah yeah and i, I think there was still even when i was a boy a lot of animosity towards um towards germany and japan and their allies the axis um because there there were still a lot of world war ii veterans who you know were starting families had started families and talked a lot about the war and um, i I think that's why those cartoons still played yeah i can i can believe that so i did a i just did a quick a quick search and you can definitely still find a bunch on um on YouTube as well too, if you want to get an idea of how uh, other other studios handled cartoons around this time, just yeah. for your your own education out there. Yeah. Well, Walt Disney wanted to distance the studio from the propaganda films after the war ended. However, in 1943, Defuhrer's face was awarded an Oscar, and the Nazi Party was not happy about that. <laughs> They showed to accept the award. (laughs) No, um, this was the only Donald Duck film to do so. And in 1984, for his 50th birthday and in honor of his wartime service, Donald Duck was simultaneously promoted to the rank of sergeant and discharged from service. Of increasing concern to the United States government was the Axis growing influence in Latin America, where they were circulating their own propaganda films and theaters. The Office of the Coordinator of Inter-American Affairs, CIAA, which was founded in 1940, um, you know, the war had closed the European market and the United States was seeking new commercial markets abroad. And so was the Walt Disney Studio. So as part of the good neighbor policy, the CIAA, led by Nelson Rockefeller, approached Walt Disney with the offer of a goodwill tour of South America, because Disney was very popular in South America. Walt agreed with the stipulation that he would go on a two-month tour of Brazil, Argentina, Bolivia, and Chile with a group of nine artists on a non-political tour with the goal of studying the customs and culture of these lands with the intent of producing several feature films. El Grupo, as they became known, left Los Angeles on August 17, 1941. 
These artists would be responsible for the creation of two feature films, 1943's Saludos Amigos and 1945's The Three Caballeros, both highly popular with Donald in prominent roles. In both films, Donald is an American tourist and goodwill ambassador who explores exotic regions and customs. Um, with, um, led by karaoke, led by Jose Carioca, a dashing Brazilian parrot and a boisterous Mexican rooster named Panchito Pistoles. Donald encourages us to be open to foreign ideas and to be ready and eager to learn and profit from new experiences and to be good neighbors to our good neighbor. That Donald was given a role this important was an indication of his popularity both home and abroad, and of his influence as an American archetype. The success of these films suggests that Walt Disney's promise of a new version of the good neighbor policy worked. North, South, and Central Americans welcomed Donald Duck and his crew of creative characters, and President Roosevelt's work to foster international goodwill and cooperation were realized. And I know these are amongst our most popular, our most favorite films that you and I enjoy. And we're going to talk about these in way more detail when they come up in our animation series. Yeah. I, I I love them so much though. I, I've probably watched these two movies more than anything else on Disney plus. And I think that's because I never, I never got around to buying them when like they eventually they released it to the Disney movie club and I didn't, I didn't pick them up, but uh, I waited waited for Disney Plus for them to be on there, and so I've watched them a lot, especially too because of their run times being uh, being a little bit shorter. That you can you can adjust it a lot a lot easier. And I'm, right now, I'm still kind of on the side of I think I actually prefer Saludos Amigos overall, but uh, it's it's nice that it, now that El Grupo, Walt and El Grupo are on there as well too. You can mm-hmm. have kind of a you can have a trilogy night where you watch them all together, and then after that, watch all of the um, the the cartoon that they did a couple years ago with the three caballeros. <laughs> I have yet to watch that. We'll talk about that briefly okay. coming up, but we I haven't watched then. it yet. <laughs> um, now, Donald holds a unique place in animation and film history with the merging of his identity and our country's military and economic interests. This may be best illustrated by Donald being the most popular mascot for wartime insignia, lending his image to over 400 insignias, all supplied free of charge to the government by Walt Disney. Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros launched a new era for the studio in which they began to move into live-action films. No attempt had been made to combine animation with live-action since Walt's Alice comedies of the 1920s, and Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros show how sophisticated the studio had become. The studio billed the Three Caballeros as the most startling advance in motion picture technique since the advent of sound, and it provoked almost as much controversy as Fantasia. Audiences had seen nothing like it. The boldness of color surpasses any previous Disney film. 
The exciting syncopation of music and movement is irresistible as the three characters scramble over each other. The surrealistic backgrounds in some of the scenes added an energy unsurpassed by previous films. Donald's unbridled libido when he is chasing Brazilian beauties called one critic caused one critic to call him a web-footed wolf. <laughs> Critical reaction to the Three Caballeros was mixed, but as happened with so many Disney films, it became more appreciated as time passed. In 1973, film critic Leonard Maltin said it was years ahead of its time in conception and execution. And it's funny because I think that that's definitely the one that's more enduring today yeah. than Saludos Amigos. Yeah, and I I mean, a lot of it for me growing up was I feel like I, I, I remember Three Caballeros being released on a VHS, but I don't remember mm-hmm. Saludos Amigos having necessarily at least a prominent release. But then also... You know, they used the three caballeros on, I want to say it was the first volume of the Disney sing-along songs. It might have been the second one, but uh, it was like right there in the beginning. So uh, if if you were a kid around my age growing up in the late 80s, early 90s, then you knew three caballeros from from those Disney sing-along songs. And, you know, it, it then even, it, we'll get to it later, but then it gets another new life when it gets added into a Walt Disney World attraction as well, too. So it just it keeps getting brought back up over and mm-hmm. over again, where mm-hmm. Saludos Amigos just doesn't. <laughs> no. Um, during the 1940s and 50s, the studio produced an eight-minute cartoon short every three weeks, in addition to its feature films. And this was when Donald was at the height of his popularity. In 1953, Donald starred in his first 3D cartoon working for Peanuts, along with Chip and Dale. That even um, played at Disneyland. Mm-hmm. In 1954 and 1955, Donald appeared in Jack Hanna's famous Forest Ranger series with Humphrey the Bear. Between 1956 and 1961, the studio released a series of educational films, several of which starred Donald Duck, including How to Have an Accident at Work and Donald and the Wheel. The most acclaimed in this series is Donald in Mathematicland, in which Donald explores the mystery of numbers and is considered the most successful of any educational film. When I was a teacher, even in college, I showed this film. Oh, yeah, it's I. I want to say the first time I saw this, I didn't even see it growing up. I saw it on when I was in eighth grade, I think, right before we started. Uh, geometry. It might have been seventh grade, but it, it was somewhere, somewhere around that period is when I saw it, saw it in school. And like it always blew my mind that I, I didn't get to, um, I, I didn't see it at all growing up, but then it randomly crossed paths with me while I was, I was at school and I, I still, I still love watching it to this day. Luckily, mm-hmm. um, it was part of the TCM treasures from the disney vault years and years ago i want to say 2014 or 2015 maybe and i recorded it on my dvr and still have not deleted it and i will not until it's added to disney plus and i i can't believe it's not yet Uh, i'm surprised it's not yeah Yeah, it's i know it's restored and remastered because the, the the version they aired on treasure from the disney vault looked 
absolutely incredible. It's it just it, it looks as good as it's going to. So it it would be it would be such a hit to be added on Disney Plus because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people like me, and then as you said, you showed it to a lot of people. There's a lot of people out there who remember it from their childhood and watching it at one point they just they haven't seen it in years <laughs> yeah, i mean how many people learn to play pool watching yeah. you know <laughs> the math magic land but i i know when it came out on vhs i immediately bought it and uh, like you know it, when i taught college you know and i taught <clears throat> basic math is one of the courses assigned to me and of course you know you had to st- and it was a required course and um and, you know, students would think, why, why do I need this? You know, and I would show them that film on the first day of class. I said, this explains why math is important, how math is all around us. And they were mesmerized by it. And, um, oh, yeah, no, the, like the, the golden rectangle, I still like get mm-hmm. lost every single time they go through that portion. It's, um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it, I don't know if there's, one one cartoon that's more educational than any other is than this like it just it's it it mixes the perfect amount of entertainment and education and that's Mm -hmm. that's as much as you could ask for (laughs) i agree yeah in the mid-1950s theaters began showing double bills rather than cartoons and selected short subjects before a feature film so the Walt Disney Studio could no longer justify spending $75,000 on a cartoon short and phased out its short subject units, laying off some staff and reassigning others to the Disneyland television series. Donald also made the move to television and made no more cartoon theatrical shorts. His last was 1961's The Litterbug. Perhaps with an ironic twist, Donald co-hosted the 30th Academy Awards in 1958, alongside a number of popular film personalities at the time. Donald's classic short saw a resurgence in popularity with the launch of the Disney Channel and later on Disney+. And of course, Donald appeared many times on the Walt Disney um, anthology television series. Mm-hmm. Donald wouldn't reappear again on the silver screen until the 1983 short Mickey's Christmas Carol, where he played the role of nephew Fred. This was Clarence Nash's final theatrical portrayal of Donald before passing away in 1985. An animator, Tony Anselmo, whom Nash had trained for the role several years prior to his death, would then take on the role. And I I love Mickey's Christmas Carol. Yeah, um, so do I. It's, I mean, we, we talked about it a little bit during the holidays and I I think every year it's just, it's so special. It's, mm -hmm. it's a great introduction to that story for, for kids, especially. In, in 1984, Donald reached his 50th anniversary, which was commemorated with several events. Donald Duck's 50th birthday aired on television. The Academy Awards held a special tribute to Donald, which Clarence Nash attended in Donald's honor. And in May, Donald's footprints were marked in cement in front of Groman's Chinese Theater. In 1987, Donald was the focus of Down and Out with Donald Duck, a television special in which he was fired from the Walt Disney Studio due to his unstable temper. 
That same year, DuckTales premiered on television, of which Donald was an occasional star, despite the series starring his three nephews and uncle Scrooge McDuck. Donald's limited role in the series was for two reasons. The studio was very protective of their mainline characters and featured and, and feared that featuring him on daily television would lead to overexposure. In a later interview, some of the crew members of DuckTales stated that they had wanted Donald to make more appearances, but that executives were reluctant to let them do so. Recalling the numerous meetings in which they asked whether they could bring Donald onto the show again, and how these requests were only rarely accepted, with David Block jokingly referring to Donald as Disney's sacred cow. Secondly, it is said that producers believe Donald's voice in 30-minute episodes would put too much strain on viewers. <laughs> Although it's funny because I, uh, the nephews and Scrooge McDuck's voices aren't all that much different. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, Scrooge just having the, the Scottish accent. It's definitely uh, not not overbearing. But the nephews yeah. are like, you can tell if they if they dropped out of school, then they could be uh, definitely a little bit uh, more hard on the ears like Donald is. Mm-hmm. So they, they need to continue their education and uh, and keep 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 up with uh, their their lessons so that way they they don't get a temper and get angry and get screechy yeah <laughs> in in 1988 donald appeared at the 60th academy awards where mickey was set to present the award for best short believing he was to co-present donald joined mickey on the stage but was furious to find the position was already taken by a human in 1990, the short The Prince and the Pauper, Donald appeared as the valet of the prince, played by Mickey Mouse. Tony and Selmo notably had a hand in animating Donald in the featurette. It's been a long time since I've seen The Prince and the Pauper. I was thinking the exact same thing when you just brought it up. I watched <laughs> it all the time when I was a kid, and I don't remember the last time I've actually watched it now. Yeah, I know I have it. I know I have it on VHS. Definitely. In 1996, Donald was given his own sitcom series as part of the Disney afternoon block with the Quack Pack, which he is the suburban guardian of a teenage Huey, Dewey, and Louie. The show was poorly received, however, and only lasted for one season. I I don't know anything about the Quack Pack. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't that good. It was as, um, in in my opinion, it's when a lot of the Disney animation started to... uh, I don't want to say go downhill because that's a little harsh, but it definitely was when it it stopped appealing as much to me, and I was I was watching other stuff instead. You know that that classic era is more around uh, for me is more around Chippendale and Ducktales and closer to the early '90s, late '80s and early '90s versus the mm-hmm. the late ni- mid '90s when you start getting more like Goof Troop. And, and Quack Pack and the Mighty Ducks and Gargoyles and some of those shows. Yeah, I know my children watch some of those, but um, and they definitely watch DuckTales. Yeah. So, in 1999, Donald made his final theatrical appearance in the Noah's Ark segment of Fantasia 2000, a role inspired by Mickey Mouse in The Sorcerer's Apprentice. The same year marked the debut of Mickey Mouse Works, in which 
which gave Donald a new series of made-for-television shorts. Well, I loved Fantasia 2000. And um, I, I like the Noah's Ark segment. Of course, there's a whole story about why Pomp and Circumstance was selected by Michael Eisner for this. That's when, that's when that song just inundated the theme parks, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that one. I think we kind of feel the same way about it. I I like I like the Noah's Ark segment. It's not my favorite in that uh, in that movie, though. Not not by Mm -hmm. a long shot. Oh no, no. In two thousand and two, Donald and Goofy starred in Kingdom Hearts, an action role playing game. During the development, Disney campaigned to have Donald serve as the main protagonist, while SquareSoft wanted to use Mickey. The opposing views were rectified with the creation of Sora. Donald would nevertheless appear as a major character in the game and a majority of its follow-up titles. I have never played Kingdom Hearts. I remember it being incredibly popular. Yeah, it's um, it, it's still popular to this day. I mean, it, two years ago, I think, is when they released the uh, the third full-length version of the game because they have one, two, and three, and then uh, they have some in-between games that they've also released on on various systems as well too but it it was hugely popular back when it it first came out on uh, on on playstation way way back when and yeah it's it it still is to this day and last well i guess it wasn't last year but in 2019 when they had um when they had donald and goofy come out in their kingdom hearts costumes at the oogie boogie bash at california adventure i mean that was like that was the big thing to do that night more than anything else people people wanted to get their photos with them so uh that is that is a a much beloved uh iteration of donald throughout the years well, in 2003, Donald was given his own theme park attraction in Walt Disney World, although ironically named after Mickey, Mickey's PhilharMagic. Most of Donald's dialogue is actually compiled from archival recordings by Clarence Nash. Tony and Selma recorded only five new lines for the character in this attraction, such as when Donald hums to the tune of the song Be Our Guest. It was later installed at Hong Kong Disneyland, Tokyo Disneyland, Disneyland Paris, and Disney California Adventure. Although we don't have the 4D version, of course, in Disney California Adventure. This 4D film was created by Walt Disney Imagineering and Walt Disney Animation, who had also teamed up to create Fantasmic for the North American parks. And Mickey's Philhar Magic is one of my must-see attractions. when I go to the park, I love this film. I don't know why. I just love it. So I, I, I think it's hilarious. I enjoy it a lot. My only uh, beef with it, like many, many other uh, attractions at Walt Disney World and such, is that I I dislike that the only classic animated movie that they end up in is Peter Pan, and everything else is it's Renaissance, mm-hmm. and that's just going to be a hill that I'm going to die on. Always is that. Uh, it, sp- stretch out the material a little bit, you know. People, and mm-hmm. now they they kind of have as they've really embraced Frozen and Tangled and and some of the newer ones. But you know, it's uh, think about how people would lose their minds if they randomly threw in Sword in the Stone. 
somewhere in there or even oh, Robin Hood. Like there's there's a lot of fans out there for what Disney considers the lesser lesser enjoyed uh movie. So that's like something like like a Philharmagic is a perfect way to insert those movies where it's not the the main purpose. But that's again, that's just my my little beef with it. I still love it. You know, I love a good Donald, but at the end, as he uh, comes out of the actual attraction and into, into our world. And it's, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely fun. In 2012, Donald appeared in the animated short starring Minnie Mouse, Electric Holiday, as a brief cameo talking to one of the models. In 2017, a DuckTales reboot premiered on television. Though the show mainly centers on Scrooge McDuck and the nephews, Donald is given a much larger role as the main character. He is portrayed as an overprotective single parent to the triplets and former sidekick to Scrooge. The series is also significant for marking the first time Donald has shared the screen with a number of his comic co-stars, including his sister Della Duck and Gladstone Gander. And we'll, we'll get into those characters in our next installment of the series. In 2018, Donald reunited with his two caballeros, Jose Carioca and Panchito Pistoles, for an animated series in which Donald inherits a cabana from his great-grandfather, Clinton Coote, with his, and with his pals discover a magical book that, through a series of events, leads them on adventures around the world. I have not seen this series. It's, it's definitely worth a watch. Um, mm-hmm. I... I think I got through it in about a day and a half because there's not a, it, it's not a lot in keeping it at 30 minute episodes. It, it, it goes pretty quickly and, you know, it is more classically animated. So I know that oh, would good. be something that would appeal more to you, but yeah, it's just, it's a really well drawn. Um, the, the plot lines with it aren't anything that, uh, it, it, nothing to write home about, but it's a it's an entertaining show. It's definitely uh, more centered for kids, but I think I think it, adults will appreciate it too, especially if they they care about those characters. Oh, good, yeah, I'll definitely um watch it. Let's see what I think. So Disney's popul- Donald's popularity continues today as he stars with his pals in the Mickey Mouse and the Wonderful World of Mickey Mouse cartoon series, first launched in 2013 on the Disney Channel and now on Disney+. And of course, that's launched into Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Whale- Railway at Walt Disney World and soon at Disneyland, So, which I have yet to experience. One day, <laughs> so. one day. One day, well, hopefully in the fall. Now, now that's my next plan to be there in September. So, Donald Duck's popularity has endured since his debut in 1934 and has been a staple of film, television, publishing, and theme park entertainment. Despite his short temperedness, his goodness and tenderness manages to win out. His enduring friendship with Mickey Mouse and Goofy over the decades is something Disney fans can count on in their stories, no matter what obstacles come into their path. It's not hard to see why audiences have loved Donald Duck over the years and why future generations will continue to love him. In our next installment, we'll take a look at Donald's friends and family and his appearances in other media.
Now it's time to see if Craig has anything to squawk about in This Week in Disney History. Okay, we're starting out the week of January 24th. We're already wrapping up the first month of 2021. Excellent. So we're going to talk about something we just finished talking about, January 24th. Which Disney theme park did Mickey's Philhar Magic, a 4D film attraction directed by George Scribner, debut at on January 24th, 2011? In 2011... Well, it was at Walt Disney World, like we said, in the early 2000s. And Disneyland wasn't, that was just a couple of years back, Mm -hmm. uh, not not very long ago at all. And where else do we say? It was in, we said it was in Hong Kong. Everywhere but Shanghai. Paris, (laughs) everywhere but Shanghai. So, okay. So I have between, I think Paris, it was pretty recently added as well, too. So, um, I'm going Tokyo. You're correct, right? As we said, uh, first first premiered at Walt Disney World in 2003. It, Mickey's Fair Magic is a 12 minute long show featuring 3D effects, scents, and water, as well as a number of characters from Disney films. Okay, January 25th. I had to put this in here because it's amazing. It's already been a year. Which Disney theme park closed on January 25th, 2020 due to the coronavirus outbreak? Gosh, that's already a year. That would be Shanghai. It was first to go. That's correct. Shanghai Disneyland. I know. Isn't it amazing? We're in a year. You're into it. January 26th, Vacations. The first episode of a new series created by Ward Kimball titled The Mouse Factory aired on television on January 26th, 1972. Hosted by a different celebrity guest each week, The Mouse Factory features clips from various Disney cartoons and movies. Who was the celebrity host for this first episode? I have no idea. <laughs> oh, we've, and we've talked about this several times. Yes, this day's episode is hosted by Charles Nelson Riley, who discusses d- disastrous vacations with Donald Duck. I see. I remember talking about the Mass <laughs> Factory. I just don't remember Charles Nelson Riley being brought up with it. But then again, for some reason, because of my coworkers, I hear about Charles Nelson Riley more often than probably most humans do. So, I, oh, were they fans of the match game? <laughs> uh, I, I was a fan of the match game, but I was too. For yeah. some reason, half of the people who work at the Diz feel like Charles Nelson Riley is still relevant to this day. Oh, well, good. I'm glad his legacy lives on. <laughs> he was a, Somewhere, he was a gr- yeah. <laughs> great, unique actor. Yeah, this is a series I wish would make its way to uh, Disney Plus. January 27th, the man behind the proliferation of Disney merchandise from 1932 to 1949 was born on January 27th, 1892. What is his name? Um, Kate Kamen. That's correct. Born Herman Samuel Kamen in Baltimore, Maryland. He was a sticker for quality and he set an unprecedented standard in licensing Disney character merchandise, including books, music, and plush toys, and subsequently helped transform Mickey Mouse and other Disney characters into megastars. 
with an office at Rockefeller Center in New York City, came and devised and instituted marketing campaigns, which ensured Disney toys were featured dominantly on the shelves of the nation's leading retail outlets and around the world. January 28th. The original Pecos Bill in Disneyland's Golden Horseshoe Review gives his 39,522nd and last performance on January 28, 1982. He has done the show almost continuously since its opening in 1955, thus putting him in the Guinness Book of Records for the most number of performances of a show. What is his name? Wally Bogue. Correct. A party for Bogue with friends, family, and celebrities takes place after the show, where he is presented with gifts and honors, including his very own window on Main Street. Located above Carnation Cafe, the inscription aptly reads, Theatrical Agency Golden Vaudeville Routines, Wally Bogue Proprietor. And in 1995, Wally was named a Disney legend. Feel so happy that I was able to see him many, many, many times yeah. when he performed. I did not. Yeah. He even performed at Walt Disney World. Oh. And the review was brought there for okay. a time. That's, uh, that's nice. That's nice that both coasts got to enjoy him. Yeah. January 29th, the very first fireworks performance at Disneyland closes for the third time since 1958. On January 29th, 2017, what is the name of this nighttime spectacular? Uh, um, a fantasy in the sky. Correct. That's right. And I remember when it, when it ran its third time, because it was a placeholder, of course, for what was to come next. And... Everybody just talked about how cheap it was and all that. And I thought, when I was a boy, this was a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> this fireworks show. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's the hard part is that it's sometimes when these new fireworks shows come out, while you can tell they're impressive, it is easy to be like, well, yeah, but it's not as good as the last show. Like it felt like the last show had more fireworks or it's not like not like how it was when I was a kid coming to to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and then then when you actually they bring it back or you see an old video of it you're like no, technology has really brought us a long way with some of the nighttime shows. Sometimes mm-hmm. for the worse with stuff like Hollywood Studios where they strip away pyro, but um, it, it's it, there's some it, there's some amazing things that Disney has done just in the last five years with the new shows that they put out. Yeah, yeah, I am worried that they're going to strip out more of the fireworks part in favor of the projections and lasers and things like that. You think that that's now, that was something that it felt like they were going to start doing anyways, but now I feel like that's inevitable. Yeah. On January 34th, 2000, the Super Bowl 34 halftime show in Atlanta featured Disney's Tapestry of Nations. The 20-minute performance at the Georgia Dome includes Christina Aguilera and Enrique Iglesias singing Celebrate the Future Hand in Hand. Phil Collins entertained the Atlanta crowds with a song from his Disney's Tarzan. What song did he perform? Hmm. Well, I mean, there's only... Went four or five to choose from. Mm-hmm. So, 
wasn't, I'm assuming it wasn't Thresh in the camp. <laughs> uh, Didn't Rosie O'Donnell sing that? <laughs> that? She did, yeah, and then NSYNC did, like, the version that yeah. was um, with pop stars in it. Okay, so we have, we have Son of Man, we have um, You'll Be in My Heart, Two Worlds... I'm kind of leaning to between you'll be in my heart and two worlds for it because those were the two big ones. Um, you have a 50-50 chance here. <laughs> yeah, I'm just based on like just based on the theme, I'm going to say two worlds makes more sense than you'll be in my heart. That's a little bit seems too sappy for a Super Bowl. Mhm. Ian, you're correct. It was two worlds. And later, St. Louis Rams quarterback Kurt Warner exclaimed, I'm going to Disney World after his team defeated, defeated the Tennessee Titans 23-1. to D- Did he come? I, I think that's <laughs> part of the contract. Okay, good. good. Sometimes I get worried that they're just lying. Back then, we don't, you don't have any proof. It wasn't like they, they, they do now every single time someone comes to Walt Disney World and they make sure that PR is with them nonstop, taking photos and, and shooting video of them. So I don't I don't trust I don't trust anything before twenty fifteen. Yeah, I think um did we ever replay on this show my little history I did of those ads? I did it for our Disneyland show. I want to say we haven't dug into that yet, but I could be wrong. Hmm. Someday we'll have to bring that up. Yeah. They just reported on our news up here today that um, Coca-Cola and Pepsi-Cola declined to advertise on this year's Super Bowl. I, I saw that, too. I don't want to take us too far off, though. But Pepsi's <laughs> being uh, – Pepsi has declined. But they're still going to be showing ads for Mountain Dew and other PepsiCo uh, oh, products okay. and Frito-Lay products. So oh, okay, so they haven't totally declined. No, they Pepsi is not doing it, but their other products are. Whereas Coke is just um, Coke is hard stop this year. So okay, Coke wins again. They do. <laughs> okay, well, did a good job this week. Thank you. All right. Well, I know. I I think the news dropped. Did, did it drop after we recorded last week? Uh, Disneyland was dropping the uh, you know the annual passes. Yeah, that was. Yeah. I think that came out on Wednesday or Thursday night. Yeah. So. Yeah. Boy, that was a hullabaloo. Yeah, but, um, and still dealing be... with all the uh, the side effects of that on a daily basis. It comes up. Hmm. Well, the interesting thing is, you know, and I got the I got the little you know email, you know, as a as a former pass mm-hmm. holder, I got it. But then I got a Disney Park survey. I've gotten a couple. I got one though. Was it yesterday? And they and and it was a survey from Disney Parks, and it asked me though. It had all these things. Do you? Are you involved in any of these? And it was like education, uh, social media, vlogger blogger and all these different things though and um travel agent of course and all that and i i fit into a number of the categories and it said sorry you're we don't want you (laughs) your profile does not fit this survey and i thought hmm i was i'm wondering who they were after yeah so i 
I wonder if I learned my lesson now. Never select any of the things yeah. they um, ask about. So, but I, I have no doubt somebody will post that survey so you can see what kind of questions they ask. Oh, yeah, I'm sure if you dig into it on the board, to will find it uh, pretty quickly. So yeah. I, it's, it's all very, very intriguing to me. I don't, I, I know something will will come out in the future, and hopefully it will uh, appease some of the people very disappointed by the news. But it's uh, it's a hard it's a hard one to swallow. The, it is just it feels if if they would have done it to Walt Disney World first, it would have at least been like, well, they did it to Walt Disney World, so it makes sense doing it for us too. But it. It's um, it feels like a slap in the face to Southern Californians, especially if they're going to open the park up and it's going to be um, it if if there's some of the 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 roles that were kind of leaked out there in the beginning when they're starting to go over requirements, like if there is a rule where only people in a you know couple uh, fifty mile radius or whatever can actually go to the park. Those are all your annual pass holders. Who's going to go if there is a limit restriction? So, I, I don't, I don't get it. But whatever they need to do, I mean, I, I trust Disney, but that doesn't mean I can't be bothered by their their decision and upset about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm sure whatever comes out won't be good for. <laughs> For a lot of us. So um, I think the days of just saying, hey, let's go to the park today have come to an end. Yeah, that's so. it's very likely. Yep. So, well, another announcement. It's time to play the music. It's time to light the lights. It's time to get things started on February 19th when the original Muppet Show comes to Disney+. Plus. We've talked about this before how this was a show we had hoped would come to disney plus but weren't sure if they could do it because they might have to edit out like all the music yeah and that's i mean that is literally what it said anytime that it's been brought up with us that why the when will the muppet show come and why why isn't it there already and it's just they have a lot of stuff to to clear um you know back in the the back when it was airing and they didn't know that one day there would be streaming. They didn't know there'd be even home releases. So they, they filmed everything overseas and in London anyway. So first you have to kind of deal with um, uh, London production and then bringing it back to the United States. And no one could have foresaw where home media was going. So uh, of course you need all these contracts for the music that's in there, the, it just the likeness of the people in there, you know, they, 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 or their estates have to get paid for them being used in there. And so it was hard enough trying to get it all settled for DVDs to the point that they never got four and five actually put on DVD because of it. And so streaming just seemed like it was going to be the last thing at all to happen, but they they got they worked their magic and um I, I was reading a post before we started recording this where uh someone someone got not confirmation but read a blurb that seems to imply that these are as uncut as they can possibly be. 
So they, mm. they have acknowledged that they will be edited and that's, that's, yeah, that's totally to be expected, but it seems like they tried their hardest to keep it as intact as possible. So I'm very excited. Oh, I am too. I mean, there's some big, big names that made appearances on that show and doing some really silly things. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. So, and um, it's just a good, it's a good way to see how the Muppets truly uh, grew into themselves. So it's not, you know, you can see a lot from going back and watching the Muppet movie and Great Muppet Caper, but really, really the Muppet show is is the ground floor and the goofy, zany side of the Muppets. And it's, it is just, it is so, so, so good. So I'm, I'm so excited. And I hear that it's also, um, it also looks better than it's ever looked before, which you always have to wonder with it because it's, it's, I believe they're VHS, um, taped based on the time period, how it was done. Mm -hmm. So you can only get the quality to be, so good for it but um some of the people who worked on it i guess are saying that it it looks it looks about as good as you could expect it to so i'm i i know i am going to need a lot of time the week that it comes out (laughs) yeah well you know when you look at how they remastered the original star trek series that was you know pretty fuzzy and all that kind of stuff and it is gorgeous and uh, and um and, and they redid special effects and all that to try to to make it a little more you know viewer friendly for modern audiences and all that and so you know whatever they do digitally these days yeah. to to bring those old classic shows you know into sharpness and bring the colors back and all that it's amazing yeah it all it all comes do. down to masters and I I just Again, based on the era that Muppet Show is on, I think if I can remember correctly, it was shot to VHS, which that's not that's not great. But if it was shot to film, then it, that's exactly like Star Trek. They can if you don't if you don't remaster film, eventually it's going to look terrible, like a lot of old stuff did when they would rebroadcast it on TV in the '90s and early 2000s, but. As soon as you go back and you start restoring film and doing new scans in 4K, you you can make this stuff look like it was just made yesterday. And that's I I hope I hope I'm wrong about it. I just the really the only place that I think really is talked about it in depth is the Brian J Jones uh, biography on Jim Henson, and it's been years since I read that. So mm-hmm. I might I might have to skim through it and freshen up to see what what we can expect but i'll I'll probably just wait to be quite honest with you it's only a month away (laughs) (laughs) yeah i did enjoy wandavision though me too i I really liked it i don't know what's going on you know there's something about the color red Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean (laughs) a good trope for movies Mm -hmm. especially you know red red always signifies something (laughs) yeah yeah, and um, I guess in the third episode, from what I, I guess they released um, three episodes to critics and influencers and all that to review, and I've heard one or two say it's the third episode where it really becomes clear something's not right here. 
Yeah. And I mean, it's a spoiler, not a spoiler, but you know something isn't right from the start because mm-hmm. Marvel, it, this is still in the Marvel universe, not the, not the cinematic universe, because obviously it's not, it isn't cinema, but it's still connected in the same way that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. set up and correlated right along with uh, the Winter Soldier when that movie came out. And this is WandaVision is the same way. This is still this is still a part of the Marvel movies and in the greater Marvel story. So if you follow that that line um and you watched Infinity War and Endgame, then you you kinda know the state of the characters. So you know you know right away that something can't be right. But yeah. it's really what what is going on that is making it not right. And that's I'm I'm intrigued in that but right now i'm just appreciating it for what it is i love that they are paying homage to these these classic classic sitcoms of the the 50s 60s and i guess the third episode is the 70s and i i think it's just we we thought it was going to be brilliant when we saw the teaser back at d23 and such and i think it was just executed wonderfully yeah i agree i agree so i guess the 70s it'll be it's like the jefferson's kind of era and all in the family and brady bunch those, those, and, yeah. yeah so that'd be oh partridge family maybe they'll sing <laughs> <laughs> well i referred to several books articles and websites during my research for this episode a, a book i referred to is walt disney donald duck 50 happy years of frustration by justin knowles some articles and websites the disney wiki on donald duck Disney Studios at War, the story of how Donald Duck became a sergeant, and Donald Duck, an American diplomat, by the National Museum of American History. So, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? As always, you can find me on the random shows on the Dis Unplugged podcast network that I'm on, and then always on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster, and then email me, uh, Craig at WDWinfo.com. What about you, Michael? You can email me at Michael at WDWinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at MBowling121. Facebook, Michael Bowling, dash connecting with Walt. On Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at ConnectingWalt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at DisneyUnplugged.com. Look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and Amazon Podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. (laughs) ¶¶